Hello again, this is Michael Hubbard and uh, with my buddy Gary Goodell and our, our program Permission Granted to do church differently in the 21st century. A lot of our thoughts and ideas uh, come out of some writing that Gary and a friend of his name, Graham Cook, did called Permission Granted, this book. Um, it's a great book. I'd encourage you to get it if you're following with us. Um, you can go on Amazon. You can go to our website, thirddaychurches.com. Uh, we'd love to share it with you. And... Um, be a part of our conversation because we are exploring and uh, we're both been at this for a while you know about 35 40 years for myself Gary you've been you got me beat by a decade 50 or 60 years yeah yeah, yeah we've been doing this a long time um, I think one of the challenges is I tell pastors is you know just learn from your mistakes stay at it long enough so that you can survive your mistakes right and if you stay at it persevere as the Lord says you learn how to do things right you, you give God a chance to challenge you change you prepare you for what he wants to bring into you because I'm a firm believer that God has a destiny for each of us. And uh, any, any of our pastor friends out there are, are Christians out there, not to be discouraged, that uh, Father's for you. He's a good God. And he really is in the business of uh, redeeming, saving, and bringing us into the fullness of our destiny. And that's, that's really the purpose of the church, right? Right. Well, so, I, think, I think to begin with, Mike, we have to deal with the possibility that when you're making changes or... You're in a transition in your local church. You don't really know what's sacred until you touch it. <laughs> I feel like we have this Uzzah temptation or Uzzah complex. So when you're touching something in your local church, like worship, like communion. Did you tell me the story once about the guy that he moved the podium? Oh, yeah. And he caught heck for it? Well, that person was me. <laughs> okay. I mean, what had happened is I was pastoring a church, and we had a large altar around the front of it. And one of the board members had agreed with me we could make some ad adjustments. So we just simply turned the straight pews sideways. I had a carpenter in the church <coughs> take the pulp pulpit, which was like a, a space capsule, you know, where you entered in, had him reduce it put it on casters so I could move it around. And we didn't know what to do with this large thing in the front of the the platform, so we took a chainsaw. <laughs> we cut six feet off each end and scooted it behind me and made a planter, put the communion table up there. So you there. did a whole new redesign. It was a redesign, and the young people loved it. And one of the ladies came to me after a Sunday morning service and said to me, Pastor, Tonight will be my last meeting with you. I said, oh, that's real sad. What's going on? She goes, well, now that you're standing between me and the host, I can't come to this church anymore. So I didn't know how sacred anything was in terms of furniture until I touched it. So you're, touch, you're, you're talking about a thing, Gary, that I think is so essential that for leaders to understand that um, change requires uh, growth requires change, you know. Just like we got our grandkids growing, you know. And in, in, in another year, you know, you know, little Oliver, he was a little cute little guy. Now he's nine years old. All the change physically, we grow, we change. Right. And it seems like the church is, unfortunately, one of the institutions that resists change so much. Right. And um, unless we change, we will be, we won't have an impact on society. We become ineffective. So let's talk about this idea of change a little bit and some of the, you know. The cost of change, like right, that right. was a comical story, you know. 
painfully an older woman left, but so many people liked it. That's that's the good side. So what can we say about how to get through change and how to initiate it? Some ideas on that. Well, even if you're listening to this podcast right now, one of our mantras has been the challenge of talking new and acting old. Okay. Now, this is going to stir some of your juices and you're, yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, I'm going to try that. Yeah. So how you bring about change, first of all, is you need to be convinced that that change does everything in your context to glorify God, to bless his church, equip the saints. So you have a bunch of steps you take. Um so it's funny for me is we can go to multiple services because there's a model in the Western church for that. Um, we can figure out what's important to this group that you've gathered. But if you want to change, you got to be willing to at least start by getting a conversation going. Okay. So we're going to ask the people that are leading us Maybe economically, it's the board, it's the denomination. And if you're going to risk making a change, you have to go through all of those litmus tests. Mm. But if you don't, here, here's the point. If you don't decide you're going to change back here and talk about it all along the way till change gets implemented out here, you know, my, my experience in working with churches, it's about a two-year process, starting with leadership to get to get them thinking. They may initiate some change, but it takes a while for that to get in through the system, for the leaders to absorb it, to evaluate it, make adjustments. It, it takes time, and so I agree with you totally that you got to start talking about it. You've got to be convinced yourself as a leader. Right, right. And what's driving you is I just can't. For me, it was pretty drastic. I can't do the same thing anymore. It was just... It wasn't working for me. I was bored. I was frustrated, all the above, and I had to make a shift. And fortunately, uh, it led to something for me where I've come into a, a really a, a better realization who I am, Gary, what I do. Got it. And I, th I think we've talked about this last episode where many of our friends have been stuck in a mode uh, of doing things a certain way because that's where the paycheck was or that's where their sense of identity was. So maybe talk about we, maybe paycheck will hold off in the next episode. That's a big one, but maybe the identity side, how we get stuck in you know the the, the sermonator used to say. Yeah, yeah, I was the I was the preaching pez machine, you know, and um, I just popped out a Sunday morning sermon. Um, and Gary, you were good at it. you're a great preacher. I used to tell you that. You know, yeah. in fact, I missed it when we first started doing this, but I also realized you were really committed to laying down that part of your identity. Well, and what it was is I was addicted. I was good at it, my own success. You got kudos? Yeah. And so the idea of you can't take anybody where you're not willing to go. That's what leadership is. So let's stop right now. I don't care what you're doing, how you're meeting, what you're doing in your meeting. Are you ready for a change? And we've talked about the fact that this pandemic has actually opened kind of... It's accelerated the process. Yeah, it's, it's kind of opened the Red Sea. 
<laughs> now we have to decide what we're going to do. We're going to drown. Are we going to get killed by Pharaoh coming on our backside? Or we're going to make it well, to the promise? Well, the crisis, as Graham talks about in part of the book, or the, the challenge, is it always, at least it should force us to ask ourselves what are, what's important to us. Right. You know, when the house is burning, you grab the essential things. When right. things are changing, you ask yourself, what do I really value? We've talked about the value of relationships. So those are questions we have to ask. We don't, we're just saying change for the sake of change. Oh. We're saying changed into something. So what would you say are the several things that you, you want to be looking at when you're talking about change? Well, we, we have looked at our timeline. We, have, we, we started to tweak the worship part of our gathering which have, have ended up affecting a major area of transition that was time, time spent in the gathering. Hmm. And now we've condensed the whole Sunday morning climate to an hour and 15 minutes, 20 minutes of this, 10 minutes of that, 20 minutes of this. The issue for me has always been to not just make changes willy-nilly, but to make incremental changes and to debrief and to see how effective they're now being. And for me, the interesting dynamic as well is we tend to hang on. We tend to want to value something over the other value, and that may or may not speak to the congregation. Longer meetings don't help the children children's ministry they don't help the parents of, of little toddlers but maybe you can do a differently for example small groups in your neighborhoods um, releasing leaders to gather in their homes and then what we did is we cut down how many times a month that we met hmm. i often said as you a push ministry away from the pulpit exactly i often say i always had two Two groups of people mad at me. I had the spirit people that wanted more worship, and I had the word people that wanted more preaching. So actually, I addressed it. So we started having gatherings for just worship till we're done. Mm. And then we started having seminars, workshops, to download teaching at more of an extended period of time. You can play with it. You can massage it. But again, you won't find out what it is until you go there. So talk to me about the dynamic of you letting go of the pulpit as a preacher, how it affected you and how it affected people around you. Well, okay, I started, you know, first of all, the pulpit was my, my thing. I started by experimenting with our existing meetings. Here's one. I'll give you a couple samples of some gatherings. So you were committed to changing. You knew you had to change. You wanted to change. Right. And so we had a gathering. Okay. And I'm preaching. And I walked off the stage with my microphone. And I walked up to people and interviewed them. I'd stop somewhere in my sermon. <coughs> and I said, what are you thinking? Well, initially, it freaked everybody out. They were scared to death. They didn't. I noticed. The the pe- I noticed the people didn't sit on the on the ed- end of the row anymore. But then they got in time with it, and and my point was, conversational interaction, is one way 
to begin a relational change. Now, did you did you miss preaching? Did you? I mean, what was going on inside of you? For years, you were the, like you say, the sermonator. What was that transition like? Did, did you regret doing that? Did you ever get any pushback from people? Yeah, I had some withdrawal. You know, I had, I had some pain because I was, <clears throat> you know, that definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. What did you have to settle in your heart, though? Because, as you said, there was an identity aspect tied to it, which I think many, many leaders, I know I did, this is my role, this is who I am. I mean, the big thing that happened with me when I was, I told you, I stepped out of ministry, sold motorcycles, and the light went on one day. Here I was, a minister, I'd preached the love of God for years and years, and suddenly I, the Lord speaks and says, I love you just as much selling motorcycles as I do when you're in the pulpit. Exactly. Well, part of it is what you're talking about, Mike. Identity comes from the Father. There you go. And we know that we're human beings. We're not called to be human doings. <laughs> so I address the fact that I like the personal kudos, the adrenaline rush of sermons, but I also knew, because I'd been around people so long, that this, this was the least effective form of disciple-making. I used to call it Lamaze preaching, kind of stare over the top of their heads to a dot on the back wall and preach to it. And the problem was I was so good at it, everybody wanted me to keep doing it. So what I gradually did, I even remember one Sunday, I gathered at random three or four people to meet with me on Saturday, and I told them what I was going to teach. And I said, would you guys look at the scripture and give me your input, and I'll ask you tomorrow. So interviewing people who had thought about the text, putting three or four people on the platform, not just me, that was an attempt. Mm -hmm. One of the funnest meetings we ever had is I came to church with a, a prop, a beach ball. And I kind of threw it into the audience. And then I told them, whoever catches it, give us spontaneously what you are thinking about with what I'm saying. And then we let them pass it to somebody else. And I went and grabbed the beach ball before some junior high kid could spike it into the back hair of some little old lady. But that reality was, if you got the ball, you share. So there was a lot of creative ways. I eventually moved off the stage, pushed my pulpit aside, and made eye contact. That tended to change the whole relational dynamic of the people. Now, you're sitting there thinking... Well, it broke the clergy um, laity Yeah, it, we, we jumped... See, the gap between is, the, is, the, is that, put, that space in front of where you sit. But the interesting dynamic is we never considered it a problem because we would give altar calls and have people come forward for ministry. But in, until we could do that better, I went to them. Right, right. And... Um, I'll never forget a Sunday in our history where the worship leader was leading worship and we had two services that morning and my wife elbowed me. I was in the front row. She said, you need to get up there and grab the mic. We got to get ready. Got to preach. Got to get ready for second service. And I started to walk up to the platform to take the mic. 
And I felt like in my spirit, I heard, I'll let you do it, but I'll kill you <laughs> for taking the anointing. The idea was, I, this was a moment in time. Do we worship a little more and keep going into God's presence, or do I shift to the sermon? Hmm. And I, my wife said, get up there. And I said, I can't. If I get up there, God's going to kill me. She <laughs> said, well, if you don't get up there, I'm going to kill you. So, so here's the challenge, guys. If I, you knew Jane. <laughs> yeah, after, after that day, I had our Monday debriefing with the worship leader. And I said to him, I realized what was going on. Our wireless microphone has become the scepter in the house. Mm. Whoever has it has authority. I want you to lead us into God's presence, not just sing songs. Mm -hmm. Well, that grabbed his heart and it shifted what we do. But in the same time, I have to consider the children's workers. I have to consider the parking lot guys. I have to consider what price would the whole congregation pay if we moved or even thought of moving towards a longer worship segment in the meeting. Yeah. You know, I want to explore that with you in maybe our next episode that where worship came in, because that's where you and I really partnered together. We experimented and had some great times, and there's another other topic we'll get to here too. But um, a lot of this is in Permission Granted. It's a book at, that uh, Gary wrote with our friend Graham Cook. It's on our website, thirddaychurches.com. And you know, friends out there, um, what Gary's talked about, the challenge of learning to let go and try something new. Uh, if you're not satisfied if there's a boredom in you i just encourage you to explore and ask the father lord what would it look like to try something new lord i can't keep doing this i want to bring i want to walk in fullness so uh, we'll be talking about that some more god bless you we'll be back soon